Welcome to the Compassionate Educators Show for teachers who desire to change lives without self-sacrifice. Let's dig deep together into the skill set, mindset, and best practices you and your students need to thrive in today's schools. Now your host, Marie Cooney. All right, hello and welcome Compassionate Educators. I'm so glad you are here because we have a very special guest today. And I really have been wanting to address the topic of educating teen parents because my first full-time job out of undergrad was as a teen support worker. I saw the challenges these young girls faced, but I also saw how empowering it could be for them when they continued their education. Today, I am so honored to have Carrie Hemba as our guest. Carrie has been in education for 15 years. She received her bachelor's in family and consumer science education and has a master's in family life education. Carrie has taught parents and parenting teens for eight years, and she is an avid lover of crafts, going to the beach, has a beautiful daughter, and they have several cats. Carrie, how many cats do you have? We have two. <laughs> you have two. Okay. Well, yeah. What are their names? I have to know their names. <laughs> Edie and Leo. Okay. Oh, very sweet. Very sweet. So, Carrie, I just love what you have done for the teen parents in our community, and I know that you have really made a big impact and really made a difference in a lot of lives. So just to start out, there's any myths about teen parents that you would like to address? My mindset was so changed. It was really hard for me to answer this question because I would shut the, the myth buster people down all the time. Um, but I think the biggest one was that, oh, they must wanted to get pregnant. That's why they they didn't know better. That's, that's why they did it. They wanted to get pregnant. Um, and that's simply not true. Uh, the biggest lack in education that I saw is the lack of sexual health education. And so really it's that they simply didn't know. Um, and they, you know, may not all really know what their bodies do. They may not know how to access contraception. And there's still a lot of stigma within families when it comes to contraception. Um, I had a family um, of teen moms say it was easier to tell my family I was pregnant than, tell, than ask for contraception. Mm. Because that's the, how big of a stigma it was in their household. That is such a big eye-opener, Carrie. And some of it is a little bit cultural, but um, I've seen everything, and it really didn't matter what ethnicity you were or race you were, um, because their stories were very similar. And then the other real big thing that I was a big proponent of was, um, well, they're a teen dad. If it's a teen dad, they must be a deadbeat dad, or they don't, they're not involved, and... Um, we had a lot of involved fathers. Um, sure, we had fathers who were in jail um, or, you know, had to run away from the situation, but we did have involved fathers. I, last year, I worked really closely with one of them who wanted to know. He was in my class more than the mom was in my class because he just wanted to know. Um, he wanted to be with his daughter. He wanted to see her 
Um, he wanted to learn how to play with her, how to interact with her, her development. Um, so, you know, I, for every, you know, stereotype there is, there's just as many um, people breaking those stereotypes. And I think that the program you worked in was so unique. Could you explain a little bit more about what the program that you were leading specifically involved for the teen parents? Sure. So the state of Wisconsin has a department for um, school-aged parenting. Um, we had a program when I first started, it was called SAPR, school-aged parenting. Um, the second year we moved to Indian Trail, we had new facilities. We decided it was our time to change the direction of the program. Um, for so long, the community kind of was like, oh, it's like, it's just babysitting. You're just babysitting the babies. Um, so we really wanted to change the focus of it. So we renamed it PACE, Parent and Child Education, because we wanted to put the emphasis on the fact that we are educating these babies in our infant lab. So our program was twofold. One, I um, kind of under the umbrella, I was with the teen parents, um, educating them, getting them graduation goals, getting them on track, finding them community resources and pairing them up. Um, and then the second half of that was our infant lab center. We had three classrooms, all based on age. Um, we had five EAs that were trained and have schooling and have degrees in early childhood. Um, we had grants. We worked with Youngstar, which is um, most daycares in the state of Wisconsin follow Youngstar, and so they get rated. Um, so it, we really strive to show our students and their families that this isn't just babysitting. You're not just setting a baby in front of a TV. Um, you know, we're doing all of these things with them, and it really set the bar for what they should be looking for in the community when they would have to look for childcare in the future. That's so important. And so you really had multiple generations because you had the teens that you were ensuring that they were going to school, they were receiving their education so they could receive their high school diploma. And you also have the parents of the teens who are sometimes involved. And then also the babies who you were making sure were receiving age-appropriate development uh, as well. So that is absolutely amazing. Yeah, now, it's, well, and I want to say that the the research on multi-generational households is not out there for teen parents. Um, it's out there for bringing in your elderly family members into, so it was, it's really, it was really hard in the beginning for me to navigate that um, because I did, there were times where I would give information to our teen parent, they would go home and then I would get a phone call or an email or a comment like, well, that's not how I raised my babies and they're just fine. So it's, it was really hard to navigate that. So you do have to kind of walk this tightrope of, this is maybe how your parent has done it. This is, I always um, explained that I was teaching them the highest level of safety, care, this is coming from doctors, this is coming from research. Um, it's their job as the parent, as any parent, to take the information that they're given and figure out how to use it to their family. Mm -hmm. So um, 
you know, it, and it was hard because I did have some teen moms say, I want to do it this way that you're teaching me, but my mom then goes and screws it up because she won't let me or she doesn't want me to do that or I get a lot of, you know, grief at home because I want to parent differently than her. Um, so, you know, not just educating these these teen parents, but having these conversations with them about how to navigate it, um, kind of writing scripts with them about how to have those conversations with their parents, um, or even like co-parenting contracts, because really, um, you know, while dads might be involved, these moms are at home with their moms or dads as well, and really the whole family is co-parenting this one child. So really trying to have them have that conversation, like, you know, this isn't your baby, this is my baby, and this is how I want to do things, but I need you on board. Um, so just really helping them navigate that. Right. And that sounds like a lot of pressure on those teen parents because they're receiving all of this information in many different directions. And on top of caring for their own child, they are also continuing to go to school and trying to achieve achieve their education and achieve their high school diploma and possibly continue to go to college. So what are some special considerations for, let's say, a classroom teacher who is maybe in a high school and they have a teen parent in their classroom and not necessarily that they are having parent-child education, but let's just say math class, for example. Mm -hmm. Are there any special considerations that that teacher can take into account for those uh, teen parents that who, who might be in their classroom? The biggest one is going to be um, like just classroom accommodations. Teen parents in school should get bathroom passes and kind of snack passes because it's really important that um, they stay hydrated, They their blood sugar stays up, they're not you know, passing out, um, and then they have access to the, the restroom without getting um, grief or, you know, kind of conflict with the teacher on that. The other thing would be just desks. Um, regular standard desks are not going to accommodate a pregnant teen. So allowing the teen to sit at a a table with a chair, um, allow that teen to maybe walk around. Um, and I know that these are common accommodations that are becoming more popular, um, but really having a private conversation with that student um, about what they would prefer or about what the teacher's expectations are um, so that this, the student knows, the student knows that they can ask or that, and so they can stand up and pace without having to ask permission to do so. Um, the other thing would be just to be there for support. Um, that's the biggest thing. In the research that I found, they're getting kind of negative, negative support from their peers, from their family. And so being someone that's just there to listen to them and, you know, to kind of have them see it's okay like what you're going through is is normal um you know just a lending ear sometimes a shoulder to cry on um sometimes for these teen parents math and english and science and social studies is really the least of their worries because they are navigating a whole adult world that they're not ready for um 
So, you know, that shouldn't excuse them from passing the class to get the credit to graduate because that's our end, end goal. Um, but having some free way, like, you know, um, with that, maybe cut their assignments down, maybe accommodate them a little bit. Um, you know, if they're behind because they're out on maternity leave, um, cut some assignments out to just the bare minimum of what they need to learn to pass the exam at the end. Um, give them as much help. Um, ask if they can get a tutor. Um, so they would have to ask the school district to get a tutor. Um, ask if there is any online program that they could be using instead of the traditional classroom instruction. So Kenosha and I know um, Racine Unified, they use a program called Compass and it's a credit deficient program. Many program or many school districts now have an e-school program. So seeing what they can do with that. Now I do think that just dumping a kid into an e-school or a homebound program is not the best way. Many of these teen parents have mental health issues that need to be addressed. And so saying like, oh yeah, you can, you can stay at home and you can work from a computer and you can do all this work and care for a baby at the same time isn't really feasible. I really truly believe that these teens need to get out. They need to see a caring adult. They need to make that connection with someone outside of their household. Um, but having the school district be flexible with what that is. So maybe, you know, maybe the student knows, hey, English and math are my weakest subjects. I want to be in a class for that. Great. But I'm really good at science and social studies. So then they could maybe use a computer program to earn those credits because they are confident in the fact that they could do it on them on their own. Um, having a school be very flexible with that, I think is really important. And it also helps put the student in charge of their learning, um, which I think is really important. They're not having another adult tell them what they need to do. Um, they have some choice in that part of their life as well. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned all of this, Terry. These are such good pieces of information for us to really consider. And I know it can be really easy as adults, even as caring educators, to maybe have some, uh, you know, really have some judgments about what these students are going through. And it's so important to really leave that behind and really just focus on what the students' needs are. And like you said, connecting with them and letting them know that that I'm here for you and really establishing that relationship with them is so important and like you said being flexible they are in a very difficult situation and so having some flexibility so they can feel confident that they can be successful and giving them choices because again they are up against a lot and the last thing they need is to feel really unnecessary pressure and judgment and they really need that support from like you said some caring adults so i'm so glad that you mentioned that but it's not for us to judge that it's for us to support whatever decision they they decide i did early my very first year i had a girl who said i really want to give this baby up for adoption or i'm sorry choose adoption which is the correct way to say it i really want to choose adoption for this baby but my mom wants me to keep it um late in her pregnancy um she ended up having to go into care with her grandmother because her mom was found unfit to care for her and her sister 
And with the direction of her grandma, she was able to choose adoption. She was able to make the decision on her own um, with the support of the people around her. And, you know, um, I think that was probably the best thing for her. Um, she knew in her heart of heart what she wanted. And like I said, it's not for us to say, it's for us to, to support what their decisions are, find the resources they need, um, give them the education that they deserve to know about the subject and, you know, kind of move on. They made this decision. Let's make them the best parent or the best, the, you know, the, the best parent they can be, whatever do they decide. And let's go on with life and um, they're going to be happier and we're going to be happier for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And we talked so much about empowering students. And so this is a great example of how we really have to trust that the, even though they are still very young, that in their heart of hearts, they often know what is best for them when it comes to whether or not they feel that they can handle being a parent, if they are going to take on that responsibility, or if they feel that another path, another direction would be better for them in the long run. And I think that's, it's so challenging to do as adults, but we really have to have some trust and really empower those, those students, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm very curious, are there any stories of inspiration, any students who have really kind of overcome a lot and taken it, you know, to kind of the next level that they've been able to overcome and really can be an inspiration to others? A, a lot. I follow a lot of my older um, moms on Facebook. Um, many of them are married. Um, Many of them are married to the ch the person they had their first child with. Um, you know, my very first year was a rough one. It was initiation by fire. Um, so I also had a mom give birth to a stillborn baby at 39 weeks and six days. Um, and that was hard. I tear up thinking about it. That was hard for us as a family classroom to to adjust it and we kind of led by her um example um how you know she came back to school um how she wanted to be treated and it finally was her to say like listen i'm still here um you know i know i don't have my baby but you know i'm still a person still talk to me she was really upset about that but you know she used that experience as I'm going to do something with my life. You know, she was able to go to college. Um, she, uh, she was there for two years. She came home um, then and she, you know, kind of got the wild teenage years out of her, but she's looking back at it as all a learning experience. She has a good job. She has a house. She just had um, now a baby um, she's engaged and it makes me really happy to see where she is in her life um, because you know her life could have taken a totally different path it it makes me feel good that I know sometimes as educators we feel that we're not making a difference right now um, but at some point my mindset changed to I'm planting seeds 
they may not bloom now and they may not bloom in two months, but I know at some point they're going to bloom. And it really is for a lot of these girls, you know, some seeds might bloom faster than others, but they event, they get it event that light bulb goes off those seeds bloom. And then they can take that information and that education they received and they can continue to plant it into their own child, into their friends, into their family. And, um, you know, that's, I guess as educators, just that's just what we want to have. I think working with teen parents is a different level of relationship you build with these these families. Um, so maybe it's a little bit more personal for me, but you know, it's it's great to see where my my past students are now. Um, it's great to hear from them, whether it is because they need help or because they have good news to share. I'm always willing to be there to lend an ear and point them in the right direction. You know, I had a professor who once said, once I am your teacher, I am your teacher for life. And it sounds like that is exactly who you are, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for sharing that story. And it must have taken a lot of courage for the girl after she lost her baby to come back and say, look, I am here. And to have that moment of just being really brave and speaking her truth. Mm -hmm. So like you said, these, these kids grow up to be adults and navigate the adult world so quickly um, after they become pregnant. Um, something that occurred to me too, as we were having this discussion is I just have one, one kind of final question for educators who do have a teen parent in their classroom. Is there, do you have any suggestions on how to make it as effortless as possible for really building that community and making sure that the other students are being kind and compassionate to that student as well? Um, I think follow the direction of the student. Um, maybe have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them um, about how they want to address it. Um, even before I worked specifically with teen parents, I had a pregnant teenager um, in a classroom and she confided into me about it, but she didn't want her classmates to know about it. Um, so I was glad that I had that conversation because then I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't out her in class. You know, if we we're talking about something specific to child development, I didn't have to be like, oh, you have a baby, you're pregnant. What, what are you feeling? Um, because I knew what her wishes were. So really just kind of cutting through the it and getting down to it. How do you want to address it? How do you want to go about it in class? Do you want to talk about it? Do you, having those truthful conversations um, and then saying, you know, whatever you need, let me know I'm here and, come up with a way of communicating, uh, whether it's a hand sign or a note or something, um, but and then touching base with that student, you know, on a weekly basis about what, what else can they do? Is there something that's going on that the teacher doesn't see? Um, because the last thing we wanna do is we don't wanna push this student out of the classroom because they don't feel comfortable being there to get their education because that's not fair to them. Mm -hmm. That is so helpful. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add that you think would be helpful to teachers or just any general awareness of this topic that, that we have not covered yet? 
Um, no, ask questions. Um, so if the pregnant teen comes to you or even the teen father comes to you with a question and you don't know the answer to it, just, you know, vow to help find an answer or, you know, I don't know it, but let's try to navigate it together and carve out a little bit of time to do that. Um, because that's another way of showing support. Um, that was my biggest thing. I don't know, but let's see what Google says and let's make some phone calls together. Teens don't know how to use the phone. Um, so that was always something I had to teach my students how to make those kind of professional phone calls to a doctor's office to make appointments or reschedule appointments. Um, so leading by example, um, you know, if they have, like, like I said, those questions are really important and they may not know even how to put it into Google or how to ask, you know, the, the health department or, you know, but whereas adults, we have more vocabulary, we should be able to do that. And we should, taking that time with them is really important because chances are they may not be getting it at home. Um, you may be the, the adult role model, the parenting role model this child needs. Well, I think you brought up a whole nother <laughs> topic <laughs> of conversation for another day about making sure our kids know how to have those professional conversations and phone calls and find the information that they need. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thank you so very, very much. This was such a helpful conversation to have and so much wonderful points for all of us to consider when we're working with pregnant and parenting teenagers, um, or we just maybe even have uh, pregnant or parenting teenagers in our families, in our communities, and right. really making sure that we are supporting them because that is truly impacting generations. Thank you again so much, Carrie, for being here. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Compassionate Educators Show. If you would like to continue the conversation and have two-way dialogue, as well as have a community of support and additional resources, join us over on Facebook at the Compassionate Educators Group. I cannot wait to see you there.